It's time now for Money Matters with the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah, owners of Lewis Financial Management, a Raleigh-based family-owned financial planning firm providing investment and financial planning advice since 1983. Doug and Deborah are certified financial planners, CFPs who can answer any of your questions about investments, retirement planning, and estate planning. Why not call Doug, Linda, and Deborah right now at 919-860-9783 with your financial planning questions. That's 919-860-9783. Now, here's Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Investments offered through SFA Inc. Investment advice through Lewis Financial Management. SFA Inc. and Lewis Financial Management are not related entities. Hello, North Carolina. This is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner, once again welcoming you to Money Matters with the Lewises, Doug, Linda, and Deborah Lewis. Money Matters has been providing you with a personal financial hotline for all your questions about investments, estate planning, tax planning, money management, and retirement planning for over 30 years. Good evening, North Carolina, and wherever you may be, if you're listening, welcome to Money Matters with the Lewises. This is Linda Lewis. And this is Doug Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. And this is Deborah Lewis, Certified Financial Planner. Linda, I like what you said, wherever you may be, because we got that call the other day. Somebody said they were in Spokane, Washington. Yes. They've been listening to Somebody was live streaming. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Technology. Yeah, a lot of people might not wonder. know that um, you can go to the website and pull up old episodes of the show. I mean, after 27 years, we have a lot of uh, shows. And if you miss one, please go to the website and uh, pull it up from there. And you can live stream. That means go to WPTF.com and you can live stream and listen to the show. That's what he was from doing. your yeah. computer. Yes, indeed. Well, what a historical week we saw in the market. For the first time, the Dow crossed over 21,000 and, and ended at 21,005. Oh, that's right. We're over 21,000 now. I don't, It seems like it was only yesterday when people laughed at uh, <laughs> Sir John Templeton saying, we will see a 20,000 Dow, and here we are at 21,005. And oil is rebounding, or it looks, it looks like it's rebounding. It closed at fifty-three thirty-three, fifty-three dollars a barrel. That's that's very nice, and maybe we will see it hit seventy, as some are feeling that uh, it might go to seventy this year. We will see, we will see. But so far, all indicators are looking very healthy. Well, Doug, Deborah. What else is new in the world of financial planning? Well, there are many questions that we get asked on a frequent basis that we might begin the show with tonight because we, as comprehensive financial planning uh, experts and certified financial planners, we have a lot of of questions that are uh, the usual types that we are answering during the week. For example... How should your 401k be positioned based on your available investment choices? I got that one at least twice this week. And how do you roll over your 401k, 403b, or retirement plan, and where should it be invested? Now, those are investment-type questions, and other retirement or retirement investment questions, what might be, how should my overall portfolio be balanced between stocks, bonds, REITs, or mutual funds, and what investment vehicles should I 
currently be invested in based on my current age or risk tolerance or retirement goals. Other folks want to know, how do I prepare for college funding for my children? And how do I prepare for financial independence in the future? Should I pick um, investments from my pension at retirement or should I take the lump sum payment option? So if these are some of your questions tonight, give us a call. The lines are open for the next hour. 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. But you might also have questions about your cash flow. Maybe it's, how should I invest any surplus money from my paycheck monthly? Or how do I go ahead and create a budget well, what's the difference between my discretionary expenses, my non-discretionary expenses, and my regular monthly expenses? Well, what about insurance? How do I know if my insurance coverage is adequate? And what type of insurance should I own? How much will my wife need to pay her monthly expenses if I were to die? What about the difference between those types of insurance? What's the difference between term or whole life, universal, second-to-die insurance? Do you need long-term care insurance? What if you're wondering about disability insurance? Other folks have questions about taxes. Is there any way that you can avoid or reduce the alternative minimum tax? Can you use a charitable trust to sell real estate or investments tax-free? Are there any investment vehicles that can help you reduce your tax burden? Or maybe it's a tax question like, should my business be an S-Corp or a C-Corp or an LLC or a sole proprietorship? Or am I paying enough in quarterly taxes or too much in quarterly taxes? Call tonight with your question, 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. And, of course, on the estate side, folks wonder, do I need a revocable living trust and a credit shelter trust? And how can you reduce your estate tax liability? And how can you avoid probate costs? So, if you're listening to this evening, you're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. And if you'd like to schedule an appointment, call us at Lewis Financial Management during the week. Leave us your number, or and we'll be happy to send you an introductory packet. That number is 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Joe, this is Doug Lewis with Money Matters. How can I help you this evening? I just want to talk to you a little bit about, uh, sort of give you what my situation is and find out where we need to go from here. All right, Joe, how old are you? I'm 30. 30 years old, married or single? Married. Married. Any children? No. My wife, is your wife working? Yes. Wife working. All right. That's called financial planning for dinks, by the way. Dual income, no kids. Well, it, it probably won't be that way too long. That's why I'm, I'm somewhat conservative. Kids on the way. Uh, not yet. Planning. But, but thinking about it, yeah. <laughs> That's uh, another kind of financial planning, by the way. That's right. Planning for I, exemptions, huh? <laughs> yeah, I want to talk about that, too, if you don't mind. All right. Um, but, uh, what, what do you, what other, what other kind of All right. Income? Do? What's your income, Joe? Uh, mine or both. Let's take yours first. About 62. Husband, 62,000. Wife? Uh, about 42. 42,000. Combined family income of 104. All right. How stable is your is your is your employment? Pretty stable. Stable. And your wife? About the same. 
Good. Uh, but that, that's another uh, thing that we may need to factor in is that uh, if, in fact, uh, we, we do get a, uh, a child sometime in the, in the near future, it may be that she, she may or may not go back to work. So that's something I've always planned for. Right. All right, let's take a look at planning. What do you have in the way of your personal investment portfolio? Well, we're, uh, we, we're both in corporations that have 401Ks. Let's first talk about what's called non-qualified. 401Ks are called qualified investments. They qualify for tax deferral, but uh, just like IRAs and profit-sharing plans. But we want to talk about your non-qualified investments first. That that's not IRAs or that's anything. nothing that's that's nothing that's in a tax sheltered position. This is your normal personal stuff that's held by you personally. Okay. Uh, other than house and a few odds and uh, odds and ends of stocks and cash, roughly you know five or six thousand dollars laying around. We got five or th- we got five or six thousand dollars in cash, and nothing in a, in a personal investment portfolio. Yeah. Well, like I say, I got the personal investments. I included that in there, but just very few shares of stock of. Uh, Things have been handed down through the family, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Doesn't sound good. Where are you spending a hundred thousand dollars? Two well, two 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 thirty year olds who haven't accumulated a thing in a personal investment portfolio spending a hundred thousand dollars. That that would make me real nervous. Well, to, to be honest with you, we haven't been married all that long, and uh, we've retired every bit of debt we have, other than the house. All right. Have you done a needs analysis, a living expense analysis, Joe? Do you know what your living expenses are? It's roughly about three a month. All right. Now we got a problem here because as you can see the numbers don't work out real well, do they? If we're spending 3,000 a month, that's 36,000 a year. If I subtract 36,000 a year from 104,000, that leaves me with about uh $70,000. I got to take some taxes out of there. I have you been married more uh, long enough when, when have you been married more than 1 year? Oh yes. Okay. So what did you pay in last year's taxes? Your federal return? Yeah, about fifteen seems like. Okay, so fifteen thousand federal and North Carolina. Uh, seems I got some money back on that, roughly about two or so. Maybe four thousand North Carolina. All right, let's say thirty-six, forty, fifty-five thousand. We're still missing about fifty thousand or sixty thousand dollars a year. Now, what you're saying is you use that to pay down debt? Yes. All right. That means you should be able to accumulate or to be investing on a regular pay-yourself-first plan the differential between that 55000 and the 104000 which is about 5000 a month. Well, I don't know if, um, you know, yeah, I guess I see what you're saying there, but we're, uh, we're in an 18% situation where 18% of our salaries are deferred and go into investment. Uh, when, as a lump sum there, 18, 12 of hers and 6 of mine. Well, even if you are, even if it's 18% of 100,000, that's 18,000, that still, that still leaves us about 30,000. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Now, first of all, what you're doing, I don't like. I don't like putting everything into qualified money because you're locking it away for the next 29 years and you can't get to that money without severe, severe penalties in some cases, in some cases not at all. Right. So you should reduce your 401k contributions to the point, are they matching you? Yes. Reduce it to the match. Mm-hmm. Don't let the tax tail wag the dog. You okay. should be building, you should first have an emergency fund, maybe three months, maybe four months. If you're thinking that your wife will be, you know, again, you got to look at, at the possibility of kids coming and, and even move it up uh but I think three or four months should be enough if you're making 62000 That's all right. Well, three, what, what I was going to say is uh, that the, the, the paying down has just been 
recently completed in the sticks as a result of, of the accumulation of that, that buffer that you keep talking about. All right. I feel like in another month or so, I'll be to the point where I get that three, four-month buffer, and then we're starting to talk about that. Uh, Good. Then you've got about three or 4000 a month that you can be putting somewhere. Right. Even after contributing the 401k allocation up to the match. Right. Right. That's exactly what you should be doing. You want to work with an asset allocation model. You want to work with a certified financial planner to help you properly focus it. And, uh, and of course, if you say that you may be taking a significant reduction of 40% of your income, then it's even more crucial that you, you know, that you use the time between now and then. Right, right. I agree with you on that. Let me ask you about that. What's the best way? What do you recommend saving for children once they're born? Uh, saving for education. Well, it's the same thing. You 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 do an educational needs analysis. What we do at our office is we factor in. We 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 first decide whether we're saving for public or private universities. We get the cost. We uh, throw it to the future, to what the value is going to be, what we're going to need at that time, whether it's eight hundred or nine hundred thousand dollars at that time, whatever the number is going to be. And the numbers are getting very big, as you can imagine, when you're going out 18 years. Right. And then we back down to how much we need to be putting aside monthly to accumulate that amount to reach that point at that time. And with 18 years, you can do it. You can do it. Mm-hmm. I can tell right off, hand, right off the bat that your numbers will make it. By the way, don't put that money in UGMA accounts. Keep the money in your own name. Right, right. I've heard horror stories about that. Right, because you're looking at large dollars that will be given to a kid irrevocably. Right. But that should be part of your financial plan, Tony, uh, Joe. That should be part of the plan, educational planning and tax planning and cash flow planning and retirement planning simultaneously. If you'd like to call, uh, I'm sorry, Lynn. Yeah. Joe, if you, if you like to call the office at 8727000, 8727000, I can send you some information that might help you, uh, put all this in order. Okay. All righty. Thank you so much. Okay. Thanks Thank for you calling. for calling. Uh-huh. Do you have questions about your financial planning? Call the Lewises right now at 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. Well, Doug, Deborah, what's new in the world of financial planning regulatory issues? Well, the fiduciary rule is back on the front page again. Just recently, this past week, the acting head of the SEC, the Securities Exchange Commission, blasted the regulation that opposed by stockbrokers and the Trump administration saying that this rule was written to increase profits for trial lawyers. So this is Michael P.O.R., He is the acting head of the SEC. He added his voice to the debate. Now, as our listeners know, we have been bringing this subject up for probably six months now. So here the SEC is adding its voice. And uh, he put his vote in or his voice into the debate over the future of this retirement savings regulation, which we all know now as the fiduciary rule. The Labor Department plans to delay the rule by 60 days, setting the stage for its repeal or considerable revision. Mr. Piwar said the rules were highly political and was never about the investor protection. And that's interesting because the regulation, widely opposed by Republicans in Congress, would hold brokers to a higher standard when they advise investors saving for retirement. Under the rule, investors using the individual retirement accounts would have a new right to sue brokers who don't adhere to the best interest standard. 
Wall Street groups have said that the SEC should have written the rule because the agency oversees all of Wall Street and not only retirement accounts such as IRAs and 401ks. And that's that's my position also. This is not a matter for the Department of Labor. This should be under the realm of the SEC because it's the it's the SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission that really regulates everything about the investment world including brokerage firms and so forth. Now, Mr. P.O.R.'s comments show how unlikely the SEC is to propose stricter standards for the brokers, even if the Labor Department's effort is rescinded. If the SEC were to draft its own version of the rule, the commission should focus its efforts much more narrowly, maybe by restricting the practice of stockbrokers who now hold themselves out as financial advisors And that would be good because the title may confuse investors who don't understand that the person might be a broker, not an investment advisor, who is held to a higher standard under the law. See, if someone calls themselves a financial advisor, that means absolutely nothing. And I like that. When he said that, I really like that because I've been saying the same thing for years. Just the fact that somebody at Merrill Lynch or at Edward Jones or at uh, one of your, uh, whoever it is that you're dealing with says, I'm a financial advisor. Just as Mr. P.O.R. said, that means absolutely nothing. Under federal law, investment advisors must put their client's interest ahead of their own financial gain. And, of course, that's what we are, right, Deborah? That's right. Yeah, that's what we are. We are fiduciaries, and we are held to that higher standard. Brokers are held to a lower standard of care. And do you know what that's called? The uh, suitability standard. That's right. That's the suitability standard, which says that investment recommendations just need to fit a client's goals or their risk tolerance. And I think that's why it's going to continue to be in the um, news and in the headlines and why we'll always be bringing it up as far as um, a topical issue. But it keeps us uh, and uh, others who are wondering what's going to be the change up to date and I was just glad to see the SEC step in. I was waiting for them to say something. And even though he's only a temporary acting head, Mm -hmm. I was very happy to hear him uh, come to the to the front. And certainly these issues will continue to come up and we will keep you posted. That's right. You're listening to Money Matters with the Lewises on News Radio 680 WPTF. Thank you for joining us. And if you've got a question about your own personal situation, call us on the open line at 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-WPTF. And Linda, why don't you remind our listeners of our website? We haven't yes. mentioned it tonight. Our website is DougAndLinda.com. Visit our website and call us if you've got questions this evening. And if you'd like to schedule an appointment, we'd be happy to set up an appointment with you at Lewis Financial Management in North Raleigh, 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. And the website again was? DougAndLinda.com. Good. Well, Doug, Deborah, what's new in the world of cash flow planning? Well, I guess uh, one of the 
um, recent articles in the Wall Street Journal was about grandparents needing to set boundaries. And I think this is topical, something that all of us, uh, if not now, will later deal with. There was a lady who was interviewed. Her name was Teresa Kindred and her husband, Bill, and they're paying the preschool tuition for two of their six grandchildren. The 60 year old grandmother offered to pay the bill when she found out her son's family couldn't afford it. It gives her joy to help, but her family knows that support is limited. And she says, we're upfront about what we can afford and what we can't. According to a recent survey, however, 75% of grandparents say they have provided more than $4,500 on average in financial support to their adult children. 81% have given more than $2,300 on average to their grandchildren in the past year. And over 45% of the grandparents have made some sacrifices to help their adult children or grandchild. So older Americans who want to give financial gifts or other types of support, such as school tuition payments to their children and their grandchildren, often find themselves in thorny situations, right? Yeah, yeah. To avoid these types of scenarios, grandparents have to set expectations at the outset and understand the impact of their giving, and it all begins with having a plan. Before setting expectations regarding a gift, it's important for grandparents to ensure that they have the ability to to, to deliver without harming their own well-being. And we, we do that very strongly mm-hmm. in our office. When it comes up and our clients are suggesting they want to go mm-hmm. ahead and make a gift to their grandkids and so forth, first we take a look at can you afford it? Is it going to hurt your own well-being? Grandparents need to learn to say no without feeling guilty for putting their financial future first or for setting limits even if they can afford to help. That's true, because having a financial plan in place can also serve to protect grandparents in the event of mental decline that can rob them of understanding the impact of their giving. And we've seen that where uh, maybe the sibling uh, of that um, of that one child who's receiving steps in and says, you know, I, I don't think mom and dad really intended to be giving away that much, mm-hmm. not at the at the at the risk of their own financial well-being. But while many grandparents are well-intentioned in their gift giving, sometimes they use money to influence decisions such as what school the children should attend or to encourage visits. And this can cause bad feelings. Yeah, grandparents may also undermine the authority of their children, the parents, by giving disproportionate amounts of money directly to their grandchildren instead of giving the money to the parents. And so to avoid bad feelings communicate to your son or your daughter about what you'd like to give and get their input before you do any of the giving. Grandparents often give gifts on their heirs without sharing why they're giving the gift or attaching meaning to it. And grandparents do miss out on an opportunity to share their values with younger generations when they don't share this information. And the one that's receiving the money might start to feel a little entitled to those gifts. So you want to check that out, too. 
Right. You don't want to give too much and you don't want to get to hurt the children. You also don't want to hurt yourselves. So see us at Lewis Financial Management about setting up uh, ways that you can best give to those that you'd like to within your own uh, financial um, boundaries. And this will help you give uh, over your own lifetime and also do it without hurting yourself. A lot of what we do at Lewis Financial is we set up trust to achieve your goals for your grandkids. That's also another very nice way to uh, have your cake and eat it, too. So call us tonight if you want to discuss this at 919-860-9783 right here at WPTF, 919-860-9783. Or if you want to go ahead and schedule a personal face-to-face consultation in the office, then Call us at the office, 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. And I do believe we have a caller. Pat, how can I help you? Yes, uh, I hold a mortgage on my child's home. Okay. And And when you say you hold the mortgage, you are the lender? Yes. Okay. And um, I'm interested now in making out a will... And at the time of my, when my husband and I die, uh-huh. I would like that mortgage to be forgive, forgiven, not mm-hmm. to be included in inheritance, any balance. Uh-huh. Do you understand what I mean? Right. And uh, I would like to know how to go about doing that. I have no idea how. Let me ask you a question. First of all, how many children do you have, Pat? Two. You have two children. Yeah. All right. And how are you leaving your estate? Who are the, how, how does your will read right now? We don't have one right now. Ooh, bad, bad news. <laughs> That's why I'm trying to set one up right v- now. Very good girl. That's a naughty, naughty, naughty. We should not be around walking around with no, no wills today. Okay? Especially, and you're very right, because right now, the laws of intestacy. Now, I presume, you, sa- you said we, so I presume you're married? Yes. Okay. Right now, the laws of intestacy would go ahead and govern your estate if you died. But the first question comes, how much do you own versus how much do your husband own? Do you want it all to go to your husband and then to your children and so forth? If you die, do you want the mortgage to continue to be paid to your husband? Yes. All right. So you don't mean at your death. You mean at your husband and your death. Right. Okay. You need to go ahead and set up. First of all, you have to have a will. Right. Second of all, you do want to go ahead. What's the value of your estate, by the way? Combined estate. Yeah. It's over 500000 Including life insurance? Yeah. Okay. The, what you want to do, first of all, is you want to go ahead and have approximately half of your estate, half of your assets in your name and half in his name, and then it's all right to do an I love you will. If, the, if your estate was higher, I would say it's not all right. But an I love you will is going to leave everything to your husband. And he can do an I love you will, and that'll leave everything to y'all. I mean, to he, he can leave an I love you will that leaves everything to you. Right. And then afterwards, you write in the will that if your husband or if your spouse, and he does the same, has predeceased you, then you do want uh, any mortgage debts that you have. And you can be very specific. You can specify that it be forgiven. If you don't, you're right. The value of that will come back, and half of that will go to your one of your children. If that's, I presume that after your death, you want your estate to split, be split between the two kids equally. Right. Okay. 
uh, you could, if you don't have it forgiven, then half of the amount that's still owing would go to your son, and the other half would automatically be forgiven. Right. So you, you can just simply write it into the will or have the attorney write it into the will. Uh, but you do want to make sure that it's done properly. Well, now the, the mortgage is registered at the county. You know, just like a bank mortgage would be, mm-hmm. the paperwork is. Uh-huh. So what, how do they, at the time that my husband and I both die, do they take the will down there and say, okay, can we have the deed to our home now? Yes. In other words, it would be, it, it, they, they would have to go through the process of having, uh, having a clear deed of title. Right. And... According to the provisions of the will, that's what a real estate attorney would be able to do for you at that time. I see. Because he would basically be marked uh, paid in full. I see. You see what I mean? But there's, then there's no taxes on that forgiveness. Is that correct? Well, income taxes. State tax. All right, let's think it through now. If they have a debt forgiveness at that time. You know, that's an interesting question, Pat. Forgiveness of debt is considered income on your income tax return. On the estate, no, there's nothing. I... But, but at, uh, at the time that debt is forgiven, you report income. Hmm. That's an intriguing one. I don't know a way to get around the income tax consequences. In other words, how much is the mortgage right now? Right now, it's 43000 43000 uh, you're going to die next year? I hope not. <laughs> okay. Well, if you, you know, you live five or 10 years, it's going to be a smaller and smaller issue. Uh, you'd also want to set it up by the way to where it would be a, in other words, if you died tomorrow, both of y'all were, you know, God forbid killed in a car crash mm-hmm. tomorrow. Then I believe that they would have to report if you had debt forgiveness there, $43,000 of income on their income tax return. Mm-hmm. I would have to do a little research to find out if there's a way you can get around that. That's, that's the uh, part that... There would not be an estate tax issue. There would not? No. Okay. No. And it may be, if you call me at my office, I will put you in touch with an estate attorney that can research that for us. Do you have my office number? No, I don't. 872-7000. 872-7000. That's a very interesting question you're asking. It's the interaction between estate tax laws, income tax laws, and forgiveness of debt. And it's a very interesting question. It really intrigues me. If you'll call me at my office, I'll see about putting you in touch with an estate attorney, or I'll meet with you myself, and we'll see if we can go ahead and solve that one. All right. Okay. Thank you for calling, Pat. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye now. You're listening to Money Matters with Doug and Linda Lewis, and if you've got a question, we'd love to hear about it. Call us at 680-WPTF at 860-9783. If you're out of town, it is toll-free at 1-800-662-7979. And if you're in your car, star 680. Well, Doug, Deborah, what else is new in the world of financial planning? Well, there was a case study in the Wall Street Journal about an entrepreneur who had some uh, questions about uh, his new his new company. Jeff Tenery hasn't contributed to his 401k in more than two years. So here are some of the facts about his situation. The 48-year-old isn't happy about it, but he is using the money to invest in his new business, 
Moonlighting Marketplace, a mobile company that helps people buy and sell services and products peer-to-peer. Mr. Tenery, a husband and father of five, founded the company about three years ago in Charlottesville, Virginia, and before that he was an employee and a co-founder of two other companies. When they were sold, it netted him several million dollars. But those sales of those companies didn't prompt him to retire or spend lavishly. He says that after the first sale, which was about 14 years ago, he and his wife moved their young family from New York to Charlottesville. Wait a minute. Let me ask you a question. Sure. You said he's 48 years old. Yes. And he sold his first company 14 years ago. He was only 34 years Sounds old. Sounds like it, right. Yeah. Quite really? an entrepreneur. So, and he netted a couple million dollars. And netted a couple million dollars. Okay. So, so right. far, yeah. we we're getting to know this couple and okay. see what his question is. All right. Go ahead. Okay. So he and his wife, they didn't do what many people do and live extravagantly. Instead, they went to Charlottesville. So they liked it there because it had a lower cost of living. And then they have children. So they liked Virginia's colleges. And he even says, we're frugal. So with the five children, aging 9 to 20, uh, they uh, moved to Virginia. And then as he starts talking and telling us about his situation, he says, there's no shortage of expenses. And as they list them out, they um, have quite a few. They give us a sense of what they're spending on a monthly or annual basis. But he says, you know what? The most uh, expensive thing is the health care. So that's one of his concerns. How do I pay for health care? Any other questions before we get down to some of the, the solving his problems? No, I want to hear a little more about him. Then we'll see uh, okay. how, do we, how do we solve this, this guy's problem. All right. What his so, problem is. Uh, Ms. Tenery, she works full-time uh, as a homemaker, and he is paying himself about a $90,000 salary from this new company he formed. Moonlighting. That's the name of the company? Yeah, Moonlighting, Moonlighting Marketplace. Marketplace. Okay. Well, yeah. How much is the salary he gives himself? 90000 Okay. All right. And he says it's much less than he was earning before. But he's now he's thinking like an entrepreneur. All right. So here's what he owns. This is what he's accumulated. He has less than a million saved in a 401k. So that's kind of surprising. And about 70% of that. Do you want to know where it's invested? Yeah. Stock mutual funds, bond mutual funds and cash. But the most striking part of this case study is that he has seven years worth of family living expenses saved in cash. Seven years? Seven years. So I did some math. Well, if he's paying himself 90,000 and let's say he's not paying all the bills with his salary because he says he needs supplemental income. Let's call that a hundred, 150,000 a year. If he's got seven years of 150,000, that's a million fifty. That he would have in cash in the bank. And he's saying to the writer of the Wall Street Journal, so here are the facts about my life. What would you recommend that I do? All right. So this is the classic entrepreneur headed down the wrong path. First of all, he's already netted several several millions of dollars he says on sale of companies right where's the money where's the money all right he must have plowed it back into this the next new, company the new first company. mistake every entrepreneur makes that i meet they they plow the money from one back into the other mm-hmm. and it's like standing on a four-lane highway not being hit by the first car saying i didn't get hit so i'll stand there again 
Yeah. And eventually you're going to get hit. So right. that's that's a big no-no. Second thing is, what's he doing? Now, I don't know how he got a million dollars in his 401k. Somehow he must have done something unusual with the stock of his company before. But in any case, that's where it is. But now he's not contributing, so he's, so he's getting no tax benefits. All right. He needs tax. Uh, he needs financial planning very badly. First of all, the way he needs to approach his world is every bit of profit that comes from a business. You need to pull out of that business and start investing it in a in an investment portfolio of your own, not attached to the business. Okay, because that way you're protecting yourself. If the business goes under, then you have. You you've you've gotten something out you of it. You got something to to, to show to, for. It. To show for right, <laughs> right. something you own outside of All the right. company. Now the second thing is he's got five kids. Okay, he's got five kids. He's only in his forties. He's barely. He's not even fifty years old yet. Okay, so he needs to have yes an emergency fund. Of course, everybody needs an emergency fund. We need to find out what his living expenses are, and like you say, Deborah, if his expenses are somewhere around a hundred thousand a year, we now need to have a needs analysis break down his expenses into two broad categories. Right. What we are his recurring monthly, monthly expenses? expenses. Yeah. And then what are his discretionary expenses like vacation, gifts, and clothing, etc.? Right. Using that recurring monthly expense, let's say it's maybe 4000 a month. All right. If those are his expenses recurring monthly, we need to have maybe Three to six months. Three times four would be twelve thousand. Six would be twenty-four thousand of cash set in an emergency fund, not a million dollars. Right, or even if using a hundred thousand and you had fifty thousand, right, still 50, not a million dollars. Purpose being that then the rest of that cash needs to design an investment portfolio right. according to an asset allocation model, right, similar to the one that we use at Lewis Financial Management. To achieve an acceptable growth rate using only certain benchmarks and methods that we have used for so many years. And then he needs to go ahead and make everything move from that vantage point. But he needs to approach it from the viewpoint of financial planning, not the viewpoint of the entrepreneur. Let's see what the let's see what the what the Wall Street Journal writer told him to do. Well, the first thing they touched on was the health insurance cost, and their advice was, which I thought was kind of funny that that was the first one. But even if it is, it's good, but it's limited. It doesn't help him do any real retirement planning, which is his real concern. And they said that he might need to check on the price of a higher deductible plan for uh, in conjunction with his health savings. Plan plan. True, but doesn't really hit the real focus, which is how does this man create financial independence for himself? Well, let me just ask you a question. The guy that gave this advice in the Wall Street Journal, was it a certified financial planner? No. Okay. That's exactly what's wrong. Yeah. Okay. There's no real advice here. The advice is what I just said. Mm -hmm. He needs to see a certified financial planner. He needs to approach it from a needs base. He needs to go ahead and start accumulating. He's still under 50 years old. He needs to start accumulating on a monthly basis and get the benefit of compounding over uh, the next 10 years. And if he sells this business, for sure, don't plow the profits back into another business. Right. 
And to have the accumulated uh, million working for him now at 48, because there's the flip side of that statement. Wow, he's 48 and hasn't, hasn't accumulated uh, much in the investment world that can be compounding. On the other hand, he has a million dollars of cash. And that over the next 20 years, by the time he's 68, would have prepared him for uh, supplemental income to his retirement portfolio. And he may be prepared to be able to retire in 20 years. One other thing, when he's... When he sells this present business that he's getting ready, that he's, mm-hmm. he's grooming to sell, yeah. he needs to roll over that 401k into an IRA. Absolutely. Have some more control over it. Well, yeah. if that caused you to think about your own situation as an entrepreneur, as a self-employed person, give us a call during the week. We uh, work with many folks in the area who are in that situation asking these types of questions. And this is where they began. They gave a call to us at Lewis Financial Management, 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000. My father, Doug Lewis, and my mother, Linda Lewis, opened up the firm 34 years ago. My father has been a certified financial planner helping clients do this uh, week after week, month after month, year after year. And I followed in his footsteps and I'm a certified financial planner and we're a family owned financial planning firm and it would be our joy to help you answer your questions and achieve your goals. Yes, indeed. And there are so many wonderful listeners that we've met these past three decades and wonderful folks just doing everyday business, (laughs) working, taking care of business, accumulating and just like you, our listeners, they still have questions. So we've been able to answer those questions. And, you know, it is so rewarding being able to assist our clients over their lifetime. Everything from college funding to cash flow planning, that first job, 401k rollovers. Some folks got laid off. Others got promotions. And then, of course, all the folks that are procrastinators and didn't do their estate planning, and they came to us, and we helped them through the steps. And helped them the proper- avoid some, some real tragedies yes. that might have occurred. Yes, well, you know, we learn a lot from a lot of different people. And there was recently an article in the Wall Street Journal that talked about lessons from the rich. And um, let's discuss this. It pull, well, there are a few good things to pull out of this article. Yeah, this is really interesting because when it comes to their personal finances, the folks we call the ultra wealthy, they share many of the same problems as investors with lower balances. Now, some of the ultra wealthy, and they're defined as folks that have $10 million or more in investable assets. They turn to a peer network to get help and perspective management and preserving their fortunes. Uh, they pay uh, 30000 a year for admission into this group. Well, this particular group. That's right. This yeah, particular this, this group, this peer group. They call it Tiger, as a matter of fact. And they pay 30000 a year, and they do an annual defense, portfolio defense, where they share their personal balance sheets their income statements, their financial goals with a small group of folks. And so there was this man, Perry Lerner, who recently um, let us sort of peek into his life and his portfolio defense when he met with his investment club. Mr. Lerner is 73 years old. 
a co-founder of Crown Global Insurance Group, and he explained why he made certain investments and answered questions about his portfolio, his family, his charitable giving, and his estate planning. Yeah, yeah, that was really interesting, Learner, and and I really enjoyed him. He's popped up a couple of times recently also. Now, he created a spreadsheet of his accounts, including his assets and his liabilities, and putting everything down on one spreadsheet helped him, he said, get a clear, organized picture of what he owns and what he owes. It also reminded him of something that he thinks when he gets yet another financial statement in the mail he said, I've got too many accounts. And that's one of the things, Linda, that you always uh, want to know, you know, can, is there any way you can simplify? Yeah, it was funny because when he was interviewed, he said he pledged to consolidate his 12 brokerage accounts into two and consolidate 10 bank accounts into two. And the 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 funniest is, is well, whether you're you have a million dollars or 10 million dollars, this is often our advice to you, which is simplify. Right. Streamlining is a streamlining is a good practice for anyone. It gives you less to track and it may cut your fees. And one day it will give your heirs less to sort through. Do you have questions about your investment portfolio? Call the Lewises right now at 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-9783. I like what you said, Debs. It is important to simplify. It is. It really is. Now, what about cash and keeping cash on hand? Yeah, he was holding about 4% of his portfolio in cash and cash equivalents. I'm not sure I think that's necessary, but that's what he was doing. He said he was worried that he wouldn't have the dry powder available to buy attractive stocks quickly. And I guess that's his personality. Of course, at Lewis Financial, once we do a total financial plan for clients, sometimes they do have this type of speculative uh I can think the fun of, money account. The, the mad money account. I remember the one client, she said, I want to buy a Tesla <laughs> with my mad money. So she went and bought herself a Tesla. Okay. Uh, and then she bought some stock in Tesla. <laughs> All right. Anyway, that's what he's doing. Depending on your own financial goals, your risk tolerance, and your overall financial situation, then that may be something for you, too. But first, you should make sure that you've got enough cash for an emergency fund should a financial crisis arrive. And we like to say at least six months. That's a good number. Six months of living expenses in an easily accessible account. And this is really why you have to know your living expenses. You know, people will often ask us, why do you spend so much time on the living expenses? Well, everything either begins or ends with the living expenses. You need to know how much you have coming in and going out so you can know how much you can contribute to a monthly pay yourself first plan as you're accumulating. Well, in the end of your career, when you have to start creating income from a retirement account, you need to know how much you need to pull out because it'll be taxed income. And the way you know is by knowing your living expenses. So this is a key part of our financial lives for the rest of our lives. Another, um, I guess, guideline or lesson from the rich is we all need to know our blind spots. 
Mr. Lerner, he might not have had enough money invested in actively. He thought he might not have enough money invested in actively managed stock funds. But the group didn't really care about that. You know what they thought his most um, urgent issue to address was? What's that? He sa- they said to him, you need to ask more questions about your estate and charitable giving. Interesting. They were really concerned in, in this group environment of, that he had not taken care of all of his estate and charitable planning. Wow. So the group encouraged Mr. Lerner to consider giving more money to his adult children now, to put certain assets in trust, and to set up a family foundation while he is alive. And if these things sound familiar to you as someone who may have listened to our show for the for many years, uh, or even over just the last year, but you will hear Doug and Linda talk about uh, trusts. We do a lot. We give a lot of advice on trusts. Charitable trust, donor advised funds, and so forth. Yes, indeed. Now, for investors of more modest means, a certified financial planner can help you see what you're overlooking in your financial life. For example, we at Lewis Financial can help determine if you're too heavily invested in your employer's stock. We might prompt you to reduce your support of your adult children. We might ask you about working in one more year or finally write up a will. It's never too late. It's never too late. Just call us. Call us at Lewis Financial Management. That's 919-872-7000. That's 919-872-7000 to schedule an appointment with us, and we will help you get your own personalized financial plan created, whether you are a member of the ultra-rich, over $10 million, or whether you're only just getting started. And you have $10,000 and you want to know where to you know, go into your first uh, investment. Well, I, I really enjoyed that. That was great because that gave us the overview of right. comprehensive financial planning. Exactly. Because if you're very wealthy, then you have a lot of assets. Right. And you don't worry that much about, you Out, know. Outliving your money. Outliving your you, money because you have so much right. of it. But. Many times folks have concerned about simplifying, which you spoke about, Deborah, which is what a lot of folks, especially right. as they get older, they want to. Or if they're dealing with uh, terminal illness right. or just illness or dementia, those are the things that they really want to hone in on. And that's what we do at Lewis Financial Management, comprehensive financial planning. Well, then let's take another case. Let's take let's try someone else. Let's see what another type of client might be. You got okay. another one for us? I do. So uh, Wall Street Journal uh, had another case study, but this one was about a couple who had a lot of real estate and not enough savings. All right. Go we ahead. hear this one a lot because sometimes it's called the land rich cash poor scenario. These folks, Alan and Celia own two homes and are considering buying a third. But they're wondering, does trying tying up more of their assets in real estate make financial sense? See, last year, the couple and their two children moved to Houston, where uh, Celia began a new job as a business analyst for a software company. Okay. Now, he is a painter, he's 51, and he sells his work through a network of galleries. What's their combined income? Uh, their combined income is 210000 And about how much is his part? Well, um, his, his income wavers, but about 3000 a month. 36000 so the bulk of it is hers. Correct. Okay, all right, a little more about them. All right, through their moves, they kept two homes, um, 
mainly for the rental income, which they thought could be useful. But um, they're originally from South Africa. Okay. Uh, they moved from London in 1994. And then they uh, moved to Connecticut. And they lived there for 14 years. And then before moving to Houston, they lived in San Francisco. So along the way, they collected real so what estate. Do they, all right. What do they have now? Well, they have uh, two homes. Okay. And they're wondering whether they should buy another. All right. And the they two homes flat- are what? One is in- well, still in London and one's in Connecticut? Go ahead, Linda. Yeah. The one in Connecticut is valued at 400000 Any mortgage debt on it? Yes. The... They owe about 205000 No home equity on it either? Uh, not on that one. And then they have an, that other piece, uh, an apartment in London, which is 385000 And there's 75000 of debt on that apartment. So, I think to go back to the Connecticut home that they have um, about two hundred and what is that, 70000 of of debt? Well, go ahead if you've got if you got the right. Well, number. no, I, would ju- I just wanted to see what the equity was. So okay, they, all right. So, if they have a four hundred thousand dollar home in Connecticut, and if they owe what uh, two hundred and some, I, then there's maybe one hundred and fifty thousand dollars of equity in it. Right. All right. And then, what are the expenses for that house? Uh, the Connecticut house has a mortgage of seventeen hundred. And are they renting it out. Yes. Uh, and they have income coming in of twenty seven hundred rent. So they're netting about a thousand a month. Right, right, just about a thousand a month. And what about the other one, the London one? Uh, London, they're renting it out for twelve fifty, but it's costing them five fifty in expenses. And how so much about seven hundred dollar net. And how much is the equity in that one? How much is it worth? You said. Um, let's see. I the. I think it's three hundred and eighty-five thousand. And the mortgage on that one? I think it's seventy-five thousand. Right. So that's about three hundred thousand in equity in that. Now, what else do we know about them? Their question is: Should they buy more real estate? Do they have? Right. Any? Go ahead. That's the real question: Is should should they buy more real estate? Well, obviously, even if you pull it apart and you look at the pieces, what they're lacking is anything outside of real estate. So, no. All right. So, the the short advice that I have with the little that we've got from them is, number one, this is another classic type of disaster waiting to happen. Right. These people are land-rich, cash-poor. They should not be investing in real estate. They should have that equity port out of the real estate, develop an investment portfolio with an asset allocation model designed comfortably for their risk tolerance, get the benefit of dollar of dollar cost averaging with the excess going in and also of the compounding of the return for the investments that are in there. They will never go ahead and be able to make it trying to think that they're going to get enough rental income from their rent real estate to support them over their over their lifetime. No. Right. I mean, the the the, the the guts of this solution is all about trying to figure out a way to create a retirement portfolio and having rental income that's going to bring in just enough to either cover or not cover past the mortgage or the debt. That, that even if it does, it has no way to compound. That's right. And it has no way to create an income stream from it. So here we've seen a couple of different uh, char- uh, characters tonight. Number one, we've seen an entrepreneurial scenario. Uh-huh. And that one is another is, is one way that people make mistakes. And here's a second one. Right. People who are land rich, cash poor. And it 
They're always out there. There's someone out there doing it wrong. But if you come to see us at Lewis Financial Management, we will show you how to do it right. That's right. It's not so difficult. You just need to have a third-party independent review, which is what we give you, and we can give you total financial planning advice. Help you create your own financial plan. Help you create your own personal financial plan. And, you know... uh, I I love our listeners, and I love the ones that have been listening for a long time and are still out there wondering, should they come to see us? Make the decision. Come to see us. Because you need to remember that your money matters because your financial future is at stake. Have a wonderful week, everyone. You've been listening to Money Matters with the Lewis family, Doug, Linda, and Deborah. Money Matters provides you with a personal financial hotline on any subject where money really matters. For more information, call Doug, Linda, or Deborah in Raleigh at 919-872-7000. That's 919-USA-7000. Or go to DougAndLinda.com and listen again next Sunday at 6 p.m. for more Money Matters with the Lewis family.